When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back to Talkin' Knicks. I'm Tom Piccolo, recording this on a Sunday evening, uh, just hours after the Knicks took an L at home uh, and gave up 145 points to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they fell to 6-7 and seven on the year. Um, it was embarrassing. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that. I'm sure we'll talk about more stuff. So let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. All right, so I am joined by my friend Greg Poon. Greg, it is it's been a while. You haven't been on the pod, I don't think, this season. So how are you doing? I'm I'm good. It's good to be back. Or it would have been good to be back last week after this last week of, of watching the Knicks play. It's less good to be back. But I'm doing well, nonetheless. Yeah, we'll we'll get into the Knicks talk in in due time. Um you know, they went two and two this past week and they're pretty much a 500 team. So, you know, I, I think a lot of Knicks fans are the optimistic ones are saying like, you know, what do you have to complain about? There's a 500 team. We knew that going in, like you should have adjusted your expectations. And and we'll talk about that. But I do want to know how your weekend was, how how you're doing. What's what's new? Oh, I had a good one. I went to I went to visit my friend at, at Yale, little school in New Haven. Oh, a school in New Haven. <laughs> My college roommate is, is getting his MBA there now. So the group of us went down and, and had ourselves a grand old time. It was asleep that's, by 11 p.m. yesterday. Yeah, that's that's still late for me. So, uh, you know, and that, you know, with daylight savings, I'm still adjusting to that. So that's like midnight, basically. Yeah. Um, how long do you get to use daylight savings as an excuse for, for that sort of thing? Like, it feels like this time. I think it were, might be past it. Uh, I, I'm still with you. Yeah, I think I think we got a little more. <laughs> nice. Um, you have until uh, the winter solstice. That seems fair. Yeah, and everyone knows when the winter solstice is. Yeah, it's the the first day of winter. It's like December twenty first or something. Yeah, I was just gonna say December twenty first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you get any of that New Haven pizza? I did. We went to Modern, ate some pizza. Dude, modern, I don't know if I want to say it's underrated, but that is the last New Haven pizza joint I went to. And I, I was really blown away. That place has got some pizza. Oh my God. So yeah, like so that's so when Kenny lived in New Haven, that's where he, he lives across the street from that. So he's he's a modern guy. Yeah, I might have been converted, you know. Um, but that's it's a great spot. So that's cool. Um my my weekend was kind of less fun. Um you know, I feel like my whole weekend was grocery shopping. It was like making lists for grocery shopping, then actually going and grocery shopping and then putting away the groceries. I think that kind of that was pretty much my whole weekend. So Yeah, that's uh, that's one of those like lazy adult things. I guess you have a you have a kid now, so that like I did I did something, so that's a success. <laughs> sometimes I mean, even as a as a single guy, you know, doing laundry is like a oh a big day for me. Even the laundry, like all, all in, probably ten minutes of work total. Yeah, doing the laundry, we got more accomplished than the Knicks did today. So um, that's just—is that a forced transition? I don't know. I'm still rusty. We're still getting into the groove of it, but 
Um, I don't know, just diving real quickly into the games this past week. First of all, Kenny and I predicted the team would go three and one and the Knicks went two and two. He's not here to answer for our wrongness, but I just want to acknowledge that. Hold ourselves accountable here. Um, the Knicks started the week by going to Minnesota and winning 120 to 107. Nice team victory. I know Tibbs in his postgame presser today cited that as a nice win. He was really happy with how the team played. Followed that up by uh, losing to the Nets in a major way in Brooklyn. Lost 112 to 85. Um, the defense looked really bad, which is understandable when you play against Kevin Durant. The offense was pathetic, as indicated by those 85 points scored. It didn't even feel like it was that many. It was That was brutal. Um, Greg, I know you were there in the house for that one. Anything you want to share about that? Yeah, I was in attendance at that one, and it was bad from from the start. And I'm, I'm sure we'll probably get into this, but so from the the Timberwolves game when Julius Randle was was hot from three, he carried that over into this game, where I mean he started the first quarter hitting four out of six threes, but they're already losing by like fifteen by the end of the first quarter, and. He was just firing away. And even though they were going in, it just wasn't within the flow of the offense. So it was just ruining everything. Me and my friend were just (laughs) watching. We are just looking at each other like, stop doing that. This guy shot six threes in the first quarter. And eventually he did stop. He shot eight in the entire game. But also, in his defense, no one else on the other entire team did anything the entire game. So... I, I, I don't know. That's what's tough is like you want to point to some other guys and be like, Randall, look, like you can't be doing this. We had this guy going, but, you know, Brunson finished four of 14 in that game. RJ was five of 14. Um, everyone was turning the ball over like crazy. It was just that was ugly. But what you didn't see because you weren't watching the the telecast is they had like kind of Randall mic'd up. And you could tell he was really, and maybe you could see this when you were in the building, he was really taking that one-on-one matchup against KD seriously. Like, he really thought, like, it's my time to shine. It's me versus KD. I'm going to step up mano a mano and take it to him. And when he was mic'd up, he was just, like, talking to KD, like, yep, all night. I'm coming at you all night. And KD was like, I'm going to just do whatever I want to do. Like, literally, I'm going to draw two every time I touch the ball. I'm going to make the right pass. I'm going to still bury shots in people's eyes. Like it was, um, it was really a show. Katie had 12 assists to one turnover in that game. And so, yeah, even though Randall was making shots, it was not productive in any way. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was a tough watch. I would say that that was the worst game the Knicks played all year. You know, it was, it's tempting to point to that Hawks game, but at least in that Hawks game, I'd say that second half was maybe the worst half they played all year, but the first half they went up by 26 points or something. So 48 minutes of bad play that Nets game takes the cake for me. Yeah. That Nets game was one where you just don't even worry about it. Just forget that that happened. There's no need to watch the tape. Everything that they did was wrong. I guess you could watch the tape for what not to do, but I I just, that that's just an outlier to me. Right. Now, RJ, RJ even kind of said that um, in the post game. He was like, you know, there's going to be you play 82 games. There's going to be nights like this. And you just have to move on. And it's like, yeah, he's like, you'd rather it not be against like your crosstown rival. I think he acknowledged that. But um, yeah, it was frustrating for sure. Yeah, Especially I mean, against a team that was in so much turmoil in the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, It started out 24 to eight and 
it continued. It kept, it kept the 24 to eight energy the entire game. Yep. Um, you know, they followed up that really, really weak performance by winning at home against the Detroit Pistons. It was their second game, their second win against the Detroit Pistons. Um, really all I learned from that one is just how bad the Pistons are. All right. Just re- reinforce that. Like I didn't, I didn't learn it. I, I knew that, but um, I think they have the worst defense in the league. That was true in this one. Like RJ Barrett had 30 points on 10 to 17 shooting. He was really kind of doing whatever he wanted. Um, yeah. I mean, Jalen Brunson, it seemed like if he just decided to try, like whenever he wanted to, he was pulling up and getting to his spots. He finished at 26 points, eight of 16, from the field, I will say that this game was probably a little closer than it should have been, but um, they pulled it out in the fourth. I see they're outscored by five points in the fourth quarter, but overall um, they played well enough to win this one. A win's a win, all that stuff. I don't know. Did you even watch this Detroit game? I did not. I, yeah, no, a... I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's living. Yeah. Um, I can't say the same. Cause like I said, my weekend was groceries. So um yeah, again, not a ton learned from this game because you're playing the Detroit Pistons, and this is a game that you should win and you fully expect to win. If you're a 500 team, you got to win these ones. And then this this game that took place today against the Oklahoma City Thunder, I would also kind of put in that category. Yeah. Um, you know, the Thunder are not Detroit bad, but you know, I think they're six and I think they were six and or no five and seven coming into this game. Um, but. You know, this this was one where the, the Knicks came out on fire. They had 48 points, a franchise record in the first quarter. And even with that said, if you go back and look at like my live tweets of this game, every single one of them was negative. Every single one of them, even in that first quarter, was like harping on the defense. Because I could tell from the from the get-go, they were not <laughs> their hearts were not into the defensive side of the ball in this one. And that's why they ended up giving up 145 points to a very mediocre OKC team. OKC yeah. team, if we're being generous. Yeah. Um, I know, any I know, any takeaways from you for this one? I know BBD at the beginning of this game after that first quarter tweeted something to the effect of, you know, Knicks just scored the most points ever in a quarter, and they're not winning by that much. So that was that was the vibe, and that 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 no defense vibe continued on. 36 in the first, 43 in the second. And then, you know, you game plan at halftime, 43 in the third, <laughs> 23 in the fourth. It's just giving up back-to-back 43-point quarters and against the uh, the Thunder is bad. And I think one of the one of the problems with that is the Knicks have been very run and gun this year. And so a lot of times when they do that, then the other team is also just gets more possessions as well. And then the Knicks' defense isn't – isn't good enough for for that. So I don't know if that style is is good. You like to watch it. You like to see it sometimes, but sometimes they push and it doesn't work. Like back in that Hawks game, that's that twenty six point lead or whatever disappeared very quickly because the Knicks were just shooting the ball quickly. Yeah, no time coming off the clock. Um I, I will say a major reason for losing this one is that the Thunder went seventeen of thirty one. That's nearly 55% from behind the arc. And this was a team coming into the game uh, that was shooting, I think 30.1% from three, something like that. I tweeted it. I don't, I don't have, but they were, they were ranked 29th league wide in three point percentage. 
and they ended up shooting about 55% from behind the arc in this one. Um, yeah, they came in tonight shooting 31.8% in non-garbage time play, second to last in the league. Um, and they, this is kind of becoming a theme for this next team is just really letting up a lot of wide open three point shots. Um, they give up, I think coming into this game, they gave up the, they were giving up the second most wide open threes according to NBA.com's tracking data. And I think the fourth most open threes. So uh, that's not a good combination. And when teams are hitting, it looks like the Nets game. It looks like the Thunder game. So I don't know. Is there anything you think they can do or anyone that you think is particularly responsible for giving up all these threes? I mean, I'm always happy to blame everything on Evan Fournier, but unfortunately <laughs> these days he's been relegated to the bench and I can't blame him, but it's just without Mitch in the center, everything really falls apart. So I think that's know, it without having that, that safety net back there. Who's, you know, even Mitch is capable of contesting threes for after a quick two steps and a bit, a big jump. So that, that really helps everything when you're, I mean, they've been starting Jericho Sims in his place. I mean, they, they did Hornstadt today. But there's just no it's, – it's not a substitute. It, it's it, There's much much bigger fall-off than even when we had Nerlens Noel. Well, Hartenstein is miles ahead of Noel in, on <laughs> offense and yeah. capable of catching the ball. But Noel was, was at least an anchor to the defense. But – I, I think it starts and ends with Mitch, but obviously there's there's other stuff in the middle too. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a good point. And we'll come back to Fournier because, as you say, he's been relegated to the bench, though he did play 20 minutes in this one, nearly all in the second half, kind of in RJ's place. So I think that's worth we'll, – we'll, we'll get to that. But um, I think it's a great call with Mitch because when you don't have that level of rim protection on the back line, you're seeing guys just – they're not trusting that the help is going to be there. So guys are getting beaten off the dribble a lot. Like there's a, it's been a ton of dribble penetration. There's been a ton of miscommunications defending screens, but once that initial ball handler gets into the paint, the Knicks are just collapsing. Like there's no trust that there's actually going to be proper rotations made on the back line. And, be, and that's, a lot of it's because Mitch isn't back there. Um, Mitch erases a lot of mistakes for this defense and de- the defense is completely collapsing. And then, you know, guards are spraying the ball out to, to three point shooters and, and they're, they've been going down. So it's like, I don't know. It's, I'm curious to see if that, this level of opponent three point shooting is going to continue when Mitch is back because, you know, Mitch's presence has its own drawbacks, right? Like he, he can't hit that 14 foot float shot, push shot that Hartenstein does, right? Like Hartenstein, a sets good screens like Mitch doesn't. He can pass the ball really well, which Mitch can't at all. And he can space the floor a little bit by being able to hit without, you know, outside of three feet. So there are benefits to having Hartenstein on the floor. But, you know, Mitch, it's just like you're kind of playing whack-a-mole with players' deficiencies here. And um, it, it's a real struggle. I guess, you know, the next thing I kind of want to talk about, I, I'm seeing on Nick's Twitter, a lot of people are blaming Thibodeau for – I guess the Knicks general poor play this week, specifically for how they came out in this one and gave up 145 points. Tibbs is, you know, purportedly a defensive coach and this defense has not looked good or sound or like fundamentally sound in any way. Um, I'd say players have a hard time understanding what the scheme is. They don't know what, sometimes they don't know whether they're switching or 
or whether they're doing drop defense or when they do drop defense, the effort, particularly from Julius Randle and some others is really, really bad. So I don't know. How much do you put on the shoulders of, of Tom Thibodeau? Yeah, I mean, when I watched the Nets game, I wasn't I wasn't really blaming him just because, like I said, no one in that entire game did a good job at, at any point. But when that happens multiple times, then maybe maybe it is becoming his fault. But there's also I, – I don't know what blend of the players is right for, for making things better. It's just such a, such a crapshoot because, you know – Game to game, Julius Randle will go from being incredible against the Timberwolves to being just so last year Julius Randle against the Nets where, you know, he'll hit, he'll hit a few shots to, to, you know, score 15 in the first quarter, ended up with 24 in the game with a bunch of his patented jump up in the air and throw the ball at the other team. And, and that's on the offensive end. And then the defensive end, we all know that Randle's – Sometimes he's engaged, sometimes he's not. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's almost Quentin, like when Quentin Grimes gets back, maybe that'll add something. I know he's partially available, but yeah, hopefully he's, a, hopefully he's a real piece. It's been kind of strange. I know Kenny seems to think like it makes a ton of sense what is going on with Quentin Grimes, but I mean, he he saw action in the first half, but they're like not putting him on the other team's best player. They're like he's healthy enough to play, but he can't like guard I, I don't know it, it is strange yeah. I, maybe his conditioning is an issue I, I know that's what they keep saying but I, I don't know then it's just his his deployment has been odd because like if there's a time to to unleash a Quentin Grimes if he is situational as they say like we we needed him on DeJounte Murray in that Hawks game like that was the situation we needed him on Shea Gilgis Alexander in this game like that these are the situations but I don't know. We'll we'll just have to keep monitoring that and seeing where where his conditioning is at and where he's able to play because this team desperately needs his perimeter defense. Yeah. Um. I, I will say like Julius Randle's defense. I know you said sometimes he's not engaged. I think it's actually gone a step further where he has been really dreadful on that end. Like he's he's uh, last year he didn't try a ton. In the beginning of this year, we're like we're kind of seeing a different Randle. He's more engaged it's kind of fallen off a cliff entirely. Like his, his transition defense is truly pathetic and his half court defense. Can he send us that clip in our group chat where he's like, is, is Julius Randall playing Rover where he just, he didn't pick up anybody. He does that with frequency. That was not just a one-off clip that Kenny sent through. It wasn't like a rare find for him. It was, he's just really not engaged on that end at all. And I think where, uh, Tom Thibodeau's detractors, his biggest critics come in and say like, Randall's not held ac- accountable in any way, shape or form for these things. Like we see the viral clips. I personally post some of those clips that like, you know, get talked about and Randall sees no repercussions. Whereas RJ Barrett, who was terrible today, like both ends of the floor, he was really bad. He finished two of 10 from the field, bad on offense, bad on defense. Um, he didn't see really any time after he was subbed out very early in the third quarter, he kind of was held accountable. And so this, this level of accountability is not applied across the team evenly. Um, I don't know. Do you think that's an apt description? Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Um, And I've also agree that Randall needs to be held accountable, but I mean, 
right now it's tougher with Mitch Robinson out, but it would be nice to, to have some end of games when you have Mitchell Robinson and Obi's going and you don't have, you know, oh, six minutes left time to put in Randall. Uh, that, that, I, I just wish Tibbs wasn't still so, so like set on the clock. Yeah. Determining his substitutions. I don't, I don't watch enough other teams every single game to, to know their substitution patterns, but I assume coaches are probably more flexible than Tibbs is I like, I could tell you who's getting subbed in when, typically. Yeah. Right now, I could tell you what's going to happen next game. Yeah, and and you say like, especially when Obi Toppin's going. And in this game, he he was four or five from the field. He hit two out of his three threes. He did have a couple like really bad turnovers, but the dude played fifteen minutes, and he's he's proven that he's more than a fifteen minute per game player. Like he's more valuable than that. His shooting, we've all seen the bad misses. Like yeah, when he misses, he misses. But dude, his makes are for real. Like he's actually getting respected by defenders. Guys are closing out on him hard. He's able to leverage that into blow buys. Like Obi Toppin's legit now, and especially on the offensive end. And if you're going to cr- criticize, if you're going to say Obi can't play because of his defense, we're <laughs> seeing that from Randall too. Like this, that level of defense. It's not like Randall's is any better. It's often worse. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say like it doesn't make a ton of sense for that to be the case, but. I, I do have a hard time advocating for RJ Barrett to have played more minutes in this one. I just think I've, I've been saying even before this game, like I've been very disappointed with RJ's start to the season. And this is coming from someone who like before the season started, I wrote this whole article for Nick's film school, really like poetically describing RJ Barrett and like what I think he brings to the game. Like I I'm a huge advocate of his, and I think in realistic terms, I'm not someone who thinks RJ is going to make all-star after all-star after all-star. I just think he can be a very productive player, very, very valuable player. And this season, I think he's come out just with the wrong mindset, like whether it's the new contract and he thinks he needs to be the guy or what is it, what it is. But the the playmaking to shot-taking distribution isn't there. The, the decision-making is off. I feel like he's not reading defenses. He's like preset in his ways. I just, I've been very disappointed. And then on the defensive end, his transition defense is straight up no better than, than Julius Randall's. Like there was one time in the Nets game where he had an opportunity to contest Joe Harris in transition. You're not worried about getting posterized by Joe Harris. RJ didn't even jump. I was like, this is brutal, man. Like a little effort there goes a long way. I've been, this is probably the harshest I've ever been on RJ Barrett. What what do you think about him? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been watching the the games as as religiously as you, but I mean, the numbers just just aren't there, and he just looks bad, and then he forces it uh, all the time, and he just hasn't been been hitting. And like you said, it's either him trying to be the guy too often, and you know when he when he drives. We always make the joke that whenever RJ does a fast break, whether it's, you know, three on one, one on three, he's not passing the ball. Periodically he does, but it's it's very rare. Usually he just tries to muscle through. But I don't know that he's he's been having trouble finishing at the rim. But also his shot is just bad this year. It has been not carried over from where it was last year, which is where the confidence starts. So Maybe once he gets going, he'll be he'll be better. But he certainly 
has been disappointed, disappointing, and I've been disappointed. Yeah, it's funny because people will, will cite some numbers like, oh, his his finishing in the restricted area is actually has actually gone up. I based on the eye test, I haven't seen that to be the case. <laughs> like I'm looking at right now his transition numbers. He gets out in transition over five times a game. It makes up over a quarter of his offensive possessions. And he's ranking in the 13th percentile in efficiency on transition opportunities. Um, he's scoring 42% on transition buckets, 44% effective field goal percentage. Very bad, very bad stuff, especially with that kind of volume. So I see we're joined now by Kenny. Kenny, before you joined, I just gave a, a whole diatribe, kind of probably the harshest criticism I've levied against RJ Barrett since he started here. Um, I really have not liked what I've seen from him to start the year. And, and, you know, in his defense, we are saying that he was benched for, he, he was sat 10 minutes left in the third quarter, did not see the floor again. So he was kind of like held accountable in ways that maybe Julius, uh, maybe Julius Randall hasn't been. I think that's been the criticism of Tibbs um, so far. So Kenny, you have any thoughts on, on RJ and kind of where he was uh, kind of how he was used in this one? Yeah, so I mean, I think this game again. I'm not putting again. I just joined. What would what, what I have said before? Um, <laughs> I I'm not putting too much stock into the kind of minutes distribution at the end. Um, Jalen Brunson was also in that group of people that didn't play, and Jalen Brunson has been the Knicks' best player. So I think it was more of a the Knicks were making a little bit of a run with quickly at the point guard and with the lineup that they had out there. Um, and so I think you know Tibbs was just going with it, which is I. I know you're saying that uh, Knicks fans are annoyed at at um, you know Tibbs for not holding um, Julius Randle more accountable, but I think this was that him doing something that Knicks fans want, which is kind of being a little more flexible and and riding the hot hand a little bit. With quickly, that's definitely the case, and and quickly was playing was playing well. So like I, I could see that I would have liked to see more Jalen Brunson because I frankly always like to see more Jalen Brunson. He was pretty good today. Um, not defensively because no one was good defensively, like literally no one on the team. It was, it was a really rough watch. Um, but yeah, I just, I think overall RJ has just not had the right distribution between looking to, to create for his teammates and then, and looking to, to score. Like he, he goes into a possession being like, I'm going to score on this one, regardless of what the defense is doing. And he really just isn't talented enough. He's not skilled enough to dictate that he has to read the defense, right? He doesn't, he's not LeBron James, right? Like he's not going to be, you know, there there's talk of guys who can like flip the switch and go from distributing to looking for their own shot. They say that about Chris Paul a lot. Um, RJ is not on that level. Like he, RJ, when he drives, he has to see what, how the defense reacts to him and then make a play based on that. He's been going in and like, he forces passes. He's been forcing lobs. Like, um, he's just, he's been, it's just, it's been a bad mix of like indecisive and like pre, you know, predetermining what he wants to do. So I don't know. I've been, I've been very frustrated with RJ Barrett's start to the season. I'm hoping, and I'm, I'm, you know, optimistic that he'll be able to turn it around because I think he's a good player, but but this year has been a rough way to to start that new contract. Yeah. yeah. And what... So when I when I walked in, I heard you guys talking about uh, just um, I think Tom mentioned that people have talked that RJ is shooting better from the restricted area, and I agree with Tom that that has not been the case. I think he's had 
you know, two pretty good games that might skew that in a, you know, what are we, 11 games in? Um, and, but like watching the games, it's just not the case. And I think we were texting a few games ago um, about how terrible RJ looked. And then that was, that ended up being, I think, one of RJ's best games of the season. But, you know, he had two terrible shots early in the game. And I think, I don't remember which game it was, but I know he ended up with, I think, four turnovers that were all like terrible turnovers. So, um, was I that Minnesota? I think it was Minnesota. Um, it it, it might have been. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I, I agree that he has just looked bad. I I am more optimistic that, um, you know, over the course of the season, things will um, level out for him and he'll he'll look better. But you know, uh, he he just hasn't had it so far this season. And, and and finishing at the rim, like I feel like the shots he's getting at the rim aren't terrible. Like a lot of them are forces, but still, like they're not terrible looks. And like the type of looks that Cam Reddish has been making, which is a weird thing because. Cam Reddish also has taken a, a few terrible shots, but you know I, I think it all evens out by by the end of the season. And just real quick, I have the numbers in front of me. This is per cleaning the glass. This does not include the OKC game, but he's shooting RJ's shooting sixty one percent at the rim. Um, that's up from fifty five percent last year. It's actually fairly close to league average for wings. But I think to your point, Kenny, that he's kind of feasted against teams like Detroit, who just have no rim protection like he's had some good games against lesser teams and we've seen against even mediocre teams like he has just really struggled to to finish so i i think that you know in the aggregate we're going to see that number probably come down a bit but um yeah you mentioned cam reddish and i do want to talk a bit about him because he was obviously very good uh today against oklahoma city um he finished the game with i have the numbers here in front of me he finished with 26 points on 10 of 17 shooting. He had even more impressively, I think how active he was on defense. He had four steals and one block um, and then just one turnover, which is kind of an indication of his decision-making too, which is sometimes a question mark. So Greg, do you have any, any uh, thoughts on Cam Reddish? Do you think that he belongs in this starting unit, even when Grimes is back healthy or, or where are you at with Cam? So I'm glad you bring it up because that's what I wanted to talk about. So, I mean, we were talking about the defense, of this team, but this, this starting lineup really is not set up to succeed defensively. Typically I'm like another team that cam reddish spot is like a, a designated three and D person uh, like your, your PJ Tuckers of the world and all your wannabe PJ Tuckers of the world. But cam cam reddish is just uh, his defense is, is sus. I would say uh, I described it to you guys as, he looks like he's embarrassed to play defense. Like his arms aren't up. Sometimes they go up to the side. He looks like he's playing a game against younger children and he doesn't know that he should really play defense. But then then sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And then he just gets blown by because he's not trying and he's not ready when when the when the other team really goes for it. So I mean when Grimes is healthy, obviously. I mean, Reddish, maybe he's more capable of putting up 20 points in ISO, but that's not what this team needs, especially with Brunson, RJ, Julius Randle all needing their ISO touches. Uh, Grimes is going to be better on defense, and he's going to be much better at, at getting his shots within the flow of the offense, hopefully, without being a ball stopper. Because, I mean, he's not really driving. He's more of a, a you know, Kyle Corver just jacking up threes that's hopefully so hopefully I, I don't know where that leaves cam in this lineup because then we, when mitch is back you have 11 people for 
for 10 spots with 10 spots already pushing it to the limits of, of what Tibbs is willing to do. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, maybe there's a trade coming. Fournier is bad. Bad. That's the word I was looking for. He's so Fournier. bad. He's just, he's like, honestly, a shell of what he was like last year. He wasn't good, but he was still one of the best shooters in the NBA and uh, went into, you know, Euro ball and was really good over there. And then came back here and he's been by far the worst player on the team. He just doesn't, I don't know. There's just no, he just, he has no confidence. He doesn't know what his role is. He doesn't know what he's doing. Cause like theoretically when he got moved to the bench, he should be like, a big piece of the bench because he was the you were starting and now you're supposed Demo- to be, demoted you're supposed to be you're demoted to like big fish small pond mm-hmm. but then he was just even worse on the bench so i i said to tom before this started he's so bad on the bench we might have to put him back in the starting line <laughs> it's uh it's it's <laughs> funny because it's true um, but yeah, I, I think it's more likely that he ends up out of the rotation, but like, I think, I don't know if we talked about it last week, Tom, or if it was, um, kind of off, off the pod, but like people on Twitter will talk a lot about like changing up rotations and things, but like that has other effects. Like the guys that play together are used to playing together. And so like, if you take Evan Fournier and you put him in a bench role that he's not used to, like, it's going to take him some time to adjust. Like he, like he hasn't played with a lot with the guys that he's playing with now. So, you know, I, I expect um, that to be an interesting thing to watch play out because, you know, I, I, I would, if you, if you kept giving him the minutes, expect him to improve. But at the same time, like Greg said, we're, we're pushing 11 players once Mitch gets back. Uh, and it's just an, it's, it's a d- difficult situation um, as to whether he stays in the lineup. We would have to assume that, you know, Cam Reddish has done enough. And, you know, Grimes right now is quote unquote situational. Um, and there's just, there's just not going to be enough rotation spots. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're waiting for that Fournier bench game where he explodes for, for 20 points as some bench players do it. You know, Lou Williams averaged 20 points off the bench. I know Fournier is not getting those kind of minutes, but his last five games, Three points, two points, exploded for six points against Brooklyn. Three points, zero points. That's just – that's not 20 points altogether. Yeah, I think Fournier has got to be out of the rotation, frankly. I, it's not like – yeah, Kenny, I, I agree that he needs time to adjust, but, like, he doesn't adjust by playing harder. Like, he just – I mean, his defense is, is pretty brutal. Um Individually, I've I've seen him like actually try like one on one when he's on the ball, but when he's off ball or in transition, same. With, I mean, the, the thing is, it's not just unique to Fournier either. Like the team's transition defense is the worst in the league statistically. I think you know Randall is terrible at it. R.J. Barrett, I said, has been almost just as bad as Randall. Fournier is there's just he has he plays with no force at all. Like guys just go right through him like he's not even there. Um, it's a frustrating thing to watch. I I would advocate for Fournier being removed from the rotation. Um, his contract might make that a little more difficult difficult than maybe it was with Kemba last year. But you know, speaking of guys who kind of have previously been staples of the rotation but have been relegated a bit more to the bench, 
Uh, Derek Rose, he made some some headlines a little earlier this week when he said he's kind of in unknown territory with his role. He was, I think, a little taken aback. He's only averaging 13 minutes a game so far this season. I don't think he's been particularly good when he's played. Um, but I don't know, do either of you guys have any have any thoughts on on Derek Rose being in an unknown spot? Do you think we do you think he deserves more time or what's what's your thinking there? So I'll I'll jump in and say I the last couple games, Derek Rose has looked, you know, pretty bad and pretty hit and miss. But again, I think we talked about it last week on the pod. Like I, I thought that he looked very good for a few games where he just basically came in and scored like 12 points in eight minutes and then like bounced out. Um, I also don't think that this is a big deal. Um, I, I don't know if you guys like, like Derek Rose doesn't give the best interview. Like he's just a very quiet guy. Um, and so I think a lot of this was likely kind of extrapolated based on the questions and like, I don't think he has beef with Tibbs. Um, and, you know, frankly, I, I think that his kind of history of, of injury is a large reason that he's not playing more minutes. And, you know, we have also talked about the manual quickly playing a little more at the point guard. Um, but I think like over the season, again, I think like, he is going to be a part of the rotation. I think he's going to like, there's going to be games where he goes out there for, you know, 20, 25 minutes. I think now that they have Brunson, it's, it's not going to be a lot of 30 point games, but, He's he's going to be a big part of the, this team, and I just don't think that this is a big story. I just think it's you know a headline grabbing uh, thing, just from from something that he said that's not really a lot of context provided. Context provided. I think I'm just a little bit more worried about his level of play. Um, I mean, on the season, he's shooting 38 percent from the floor. Um, you know, he's not really getting to the line at all anymore. Um, I just I, I defensively, he's really been bad. Um, I just, I'm, I'm wondering, I, I just wonder if he's kind of on the decline, like for, for real. Um, that's just kind of, that's what I'm looking out for as I, I'm, I'm more worried, I think, than you are on for his play. Yeah, it's, that's a fair question. That's a fair thing to do. At some point, people just stop being good. Oh, maybe he's all, I mean, he was out for a very long time last year and injured. So he's coming back from that injury and maybe. Maybe he doesn't have it anymore. So, bummer. But on the on the point of it, him being unknown territory, you know, there's a little bit of a flip flopping between having him be the first guard off the bench and having quickly being the first guard off the bench. I think right now it's more settled on on him being the first guard. But you know, he's not really earning continued minutes. He's not going to be in that closing lineup anymore now that we have Brunson. Was, you know, he was the, the closing point guard when we were we went on a tear back in the back in the day, two years ago. And yeah. I think I think uh you know again I, I just went back and looked at some of the box scores and the games that I'm talking about are you know he had 13 points in 16 minutes again in the second game of the season against Detroit on four of six shooting. Uh, against Charlotte he had 12 points in 12 minutes. And then against Milwaukee, he had 12 points in, in 15 minutes. So, and, and I think all of those games, he kind of just came out firing and, and pretty much made everything. So, you know, again, like he more recently, he has not been as effective or as efficient. Um, but again, like I don't think that I'm not ready to call him washed um, just because he is not the only person on this team who has not looked good from game to game. Um, but I, I, I'm just not that worried. Like I, I, I think, you know, RJ figures it out. I think he figures it out. I think, um, you know, Julius Randle, I, 
it might be a, a hot take, but I think he is starting to to figure it out offensively. That is um, a hot take. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I just think I, for, I think for Derek Rose, though, like for Derek Rose, he's bordering. I'm talking on the defensive end. He's bordering unplayable right now. Like he can't stop any penetration at all. Like not the like Atlantic teams can't play defense. So it's true. Except for, I will say, and Greg was right to bring up quickly. Like, and I, I clipped one of quickly getting his doors blown off him by Josh Giddy today. But for the most part, quickly is a very good perimeter defender. He's, he's had some bad moments and sometimes he's too aggressive and fouls, but um, I've been really impressed with Quickly's defense and I think that's what's kind of even earning him time right now because his offense has been, you know, statistically, if we're talking, if, I, if I'm going to criticize Derek Rose's efficiency, um, Quickly's has been even worse. He's shooting worse from the field. He's shooting 36.8% from the field, 28% from three. It's been really terrible, but he's making up for it in other ways, defensively locking guys down. He's able to, he's like switching really well. He's contesting shots. Um, I tweeted out a, a stat today where he's holding defenders or he's holding um, guys that he's guarding to six percentage points lower than their shooting average. And that's fourth among guards who are defending at least 10 field goal attempts per game. So he's like in really good company at the top of that list. Um, he's grabbing a lot of rebounds. He's dishing out assists quickly. He's doing everything else other than making his shots. So I'm, I'm like kind of optimistic that he's going to be able to turn that around especially after today's game where we saw him um, he finished eight of 17 from the field, really just one of four from three, which is still frustrating, but he had 24 points on those, those 17 shots, still five assists to no turnovers. He, he had a very good offensive game today, which was a nice um, change of pace because he's really been struggling. It seems like if quickly was I don't know, an inch or two taller, he'd be good to, to fit that starting spot that Cam Reddish is in but maybe we should just do it anyway. You know, I, I'd love to see quickly start, but I do think you were a little harsh on Reddish's defense. I, I think that, yeah, he's, he can be a total space cadet. And so like the low lights are very low for him, but he makes up for it in a lot of ways with like his tools. Like he does get steals. He does deter shots at the rim in a way that, you know, even quick, that quickly can't just cause he's too small that Barrett doesn't even really try to do. Um, Reddish just has those, those physical tools. And so defensively, like, honestly, Reddish is a better defender than RJ Barrett is like, even, even though I think they both are prone to kind of mental lapses on that end. I I agree that there are times when Cam could, if he had like a a higher motor that he would be like, he's got all, almost all defense potential. He's got those kinds of tools and those kinds of instincts at times, but it's not always there for him. And I don't think he's ever going to be that kind of locked in defensive player, but I do think Reddish maybe is a little bit better of a defender than, than you let on. And I think again, like I said, better than RJ. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I was just trying to be funny, I guess, with my, my description. It was funny, but it was funny, but it was also true in some instances. And, and I think Tom, Tom acknowledged that because there are, and it's the same both offensively and defensively where he does stuff that it's just like, what are you doing, dude? Um, and like, like you like Greg said earlier, like sometimes on a, on a defense, like he'll just kind of, space and the guy will just blow right by him and then other times he looks like he could be a legitimate defender it's the same thing on offense sometimes he has an incredible finish other times like he's facing away from the backboard throwing it over his head like i and Dude, it, uh, yeah <laughs> it, it's crazy it's crazy is what it is but like the hope is that he figures that out a little bit and you know makes some better decisions and is more consistent 
Um, but but I you know I agree with both of you that you know he at times looks like he can be a great defender and a great you know offensive finisher, and at times he looks like he can't defend at all and he should not be handling the ball. Yeah, I'd say like the the only guy we really haven't talked a whole lot about has been Jalen Brunson, and I think it's because there's not a whole lot to say. Like he he remains a very steady positive presence. Um, yeah, to, even today he had 17 points, five and nine shooting in 24 minutes, made all seven of his free throws. It's nice to see him get to the line. Uh, seven assists to one turnover, three steals. Um, you know, he does little things on the defensive end. He, like he, obviously he loves to take charges. He's still not a good defensive player. And that's because of some limited tools. Like you, I've seen him try and contest some shots and just doesn't even make a an impact on the shooters like thought process because he's too small and he's too short of arms. He can't jump. Like the, it's not his fault. This is just uh, the facts. Like um, he's still a, a negative on the defensive end, but it's not for a, necessarily a lack of effort most of the time, which I appreciate. Uh, unlike some of the other guys in the starting unit, particularly Randall and RJ, who I think don't try all the time on defense on defense. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to watch. Um so, I mean, Kenny, I know you're the preeminent Jalen Brunson scholar here. Uh, anything that you think that we're glossing over that deserves more recognition? Uh, not really. Like, I, I think it's like you said, Jalen Brunson is just like a very, very steady player. And, you know, I think something that we've hit on um, a little bit with all a lot of these players is that, like, it doesn't seem like everyone has fully clicked because, like, Jalen Brunson – I don't think he's been shooting well from three this season. And I think, you know, historically he's not a great three point shooter shooter, but he's a capable three point shooter. Um, and, you know, it's not like he's a ton of these are, you know, terrible shots or, or aggressive shots. So I think like that's going to settle in eventually. Um, and, you know, I think that's something that I have repeated about a lot of players about, you know, RJ Barrett, about, you know, just in some instances, Julius Randall about uh, someone else quickly. Um, and, and, and it's interesting that, you know, the Knicks, the Knicks have been so good in some of these games offensively with, you know, limit some of their players just not playing up to their potential offensively. Um, so I think, you know, there's they're still there's still a lot there. And I think, you know, I just argue with people on, on Twitter a lot about, you know, people are freaking out about the Knicks prospect. But I think that, you know, there's room for growth and, and I'm not as worried about the team as other people are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Brunson shooting, uh, just real quick, Greg, uh, he's shooting 29% on about four attempts from three a game. So that that is quite low. It's, that's quickly territory there. Um, so you would definitely expect that to tick up because, like you said, he's not taking a bunch of, like, off-the-dribble step backs, right? He's he's getting mostly good looks there. Yeah, I think one of the other things when I was at the Nets game is the Knicks really – I don't know who the guy is for the Knicks in the first quarter. I can, I can tell you, like, it's probably going to be Brunson these days handling the ball at the end of the at the end of the fourth quarter. But when you're going down, like I mentioned, like, what was it, 24 to 8 or, or something stupid like that, they don't know who's going to be their savior in the first quarter. Because, I mean, the points in the first quarter count the same as the, as the ones in the fourth. And they they're just basically just kept digging. And that's when Julius Randle was just trying to take, some, take over in some manner and just jacking up threes, which – some of them were going in. He was four for six, like I mentioned, but there was nothing going on on offense other than just hitting a three every now and then. It was bad. So I, I don't know who's in charge of the offense in the first quarter. And that's, that's uh, 
that that is a another thing that you know as much as the Knicks have been a better team offensively this year um you see when they they start to struggle they kind of revert to bad habits where you know, Julius Randle or RJ Barrett will just get the ball and pound it um and that's something that you know you're hoping to get away away from um and you know stick with the stick with the plan try to get out in the break like they have been try to you know, move the ball a little better like they have been. Um, but you know, when when the chips are down, they you do still see them reverting to the the bad stuff you saw last year. Yeah, I'm just to your point that their offense is uh it's on the season, it's the 14th ranked offense league wide. And again on the year through this is through 13 games, they are the 25th ranked defense. And if you if you narrow that down to the last two weeks, which is eight games of the 29th ranked defense during that time. So defense has definitely been the issue. And this is a team that, I mean, Mitch going down definitely hurts. Like we, 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 Greg and I talked about that at the top of the show. Um, but it's still not a team you'd expect to be bottom five in the league in defense. Like the personnel isn't that bad. There's depth here. Like guys should be able to play hard for their minutes and defense is a lot of effort, especially in the regular season. It's not like, game like teams have a lot of time to game plan for you right like we saw in that, that hawks playoff series a couple years back like effort goes a long way understanding and executing the scheme even just a little bit goes a long way here and um and with tibbs being a defensive coach it's just kind of strange that we're not seeing that at all the 25th ranked defense that that would have shocked me i'll i'll just throw in that um i think some of it not all of it some of it is bad luck. Uh, like some of these games, you see guys with no business hitting threes, hitting threes. I think Edmund Sumner went off on on the Knicks, and like I think he was averaging five points, and he was, I think they said like one of fifteen for three on the season, and then I think he hit three or something like that. So like some of it's just bad luck because like that's something that you would game plan into is if the guy's a bad shooter, then you're gonna give him a little more space, and then like if he's hitting three threes, that's just that's a tough break. At the same but, time, I was saying, but, are, but on the flip side, like Joe Harris, didn't he struggle from three? Like, I, I'm just saying that, like, we don't really notice when the guys who usually hit threes miss. We definitely notice when the Sumners happen. But like, well, we we looked at the stats before, and like, it's not like teams are hitting high, like higher percentages against the Knicks overall. Like, they're just getting a lot of open looks. That's what the stats were saying, at least. Yeah, and so that that's over the course of the season. But if you look at, I think it was the what was it, the Nets game where the they set a record and then this last game like those and the boston numbers, celtics set, set a record too so that all of all those, these teams are setting records against all of these but all of these numbers are like unsustainable so i and you and i we did look at the numbers and it looks like you know there's there's no real story there of teams hitting more than uh what they you would expect them to um but in those games they that was definitely the case like i think in those games they hit higher than the percentage you would expect them to hit in you know, those situations and again sometimes it's bad luck but it doesn't help when you don't cover the three-point line so like some of it is bad luck but i'm not forgiving the knicks for the lack of guarding three-point line because they just leave way too many people wide open yeah and we're at the point in the season where um like one game can really change kind of where you rank but i'm just i'm looking at the stats right now i'm cleaning the glass and Opponents are shooting 36.3% against the Knicks on threes overall. That's exactly in the middle of the league. That's 15th in the league. So that's average. Um, we can't 
in the aggregate on the season, we can't point to this is bad luck shooting, but to your point in a couple of games, yeah, that, that's going to happen over the course of a season. We, we know that, but um, yeah, it doesn't make any less frustrating. Uh, I, I feel like we've hit on everything we want to talk about uh, from this past week. Do we want to start looking into next week? Yeah, I'm see why not. So the Knicks are starting a West Coast road trip. Um, that's also what makes this OKC loss so so tough to to take. But um, on Tuesday they'll be going to the Utah Jazz, who have been really on fire lately. Like I mean, lately being the entirety of this season, they are currently on top of the Western Conference, sitting at ten and four. Would have never guessed that. That's pretty crazy. So they're going to Utah for Tuesday. Then the, the next night, second night of a back-to-back at Denver. Um, the Nuggets are eight and four, sitting at fifth in the West Western Conference. So they're they're playing pretty well. Then on Friday, it is at Golden State. Golden State's been kind of struggling, um, but they're still the you know, they're, they're five and seven on the, on the season so far, but they're still the defending champions. So that's not like a walk in the park going to <laughs> going to golden state. And then Sunday they've got a game at the Phoenix suns who are eight and four. So this, I mean, that is a tough week guys. That is, <laughs> that's about as brutal of a week as you could expect. Um, we make predictions as a pod now, right? We, we make a, a kind of one universal prediction. Yeah, sure. Why not? Whatever you want to do, man. That's, That's what we did last. That's what we did last week. Remember, Kenny? We said three and one. Uh, I, I said three and one, and then I just assumed that you were also taking three and one. But I if did. you want to do it together, I have, I have an idea, and I'm an optimist when I make my predictions. So let me, let me know if you want me to inform me with my thoughts. Um, I, I was, think an, I, I think an optimist would say one and three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. If you look at the schedule, Tom, but if you follow your heart, um, I think the last eight games, the Knicks have gone win-loss, 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 win-loss. And so I think... That's not true. That's not true? Is it? Win one. All right, if you go back to the loss, so loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Okay, if you go... A lot of losses in there, but yeah. Um, Yeah, they have a three-game losing streak, and then they've gone win loss since then okay so i don't know however it's been win loss for a while now yep um so all i'm month, just gonna, all month the entire month of november i'm gonna i'm gonna assume that's gonna continue seven so games I'm, in I, I assume we're gonna and i think they lost the game the last game in october before the first win so I, that gets to the eight games i was well, talking they lost, about they lost the first game in november Oh, so that's a two. Long, all right, so never mind. Since since the beginning, so that's seven games. Anyways, I'm going to assume that's going to continue, and they're going to. I think that has us beating the Jazz and the Warriors. So again, Tom, if you look at the schedule, you might say one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just find some other way around <laughs> looking at the schedule, you can come up with a two and two week. I don't know if I can come up with a two and two week here, but um, Greg, what do you you think? Two and two is on the table. Yeah, I was going to say. Two and two. I also say that on Friday I texted you guys and said Nick's winning every other game the rest of the year. So Kenny's saying this like he thought of it himself. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought that I did think of it myself, um, and so that's a real bummer because sometimes, oh. sometimes I just forget that other people came up with the ideas that come out of my mouth. Greg, I thought you meant every other one, like not 
not alternating. I thought you meant like every single one, every oh, no. other, like no, every alter- other game. Alternating, Knicks uh, winning every other game the rest of the year. I misunderstood that. Okay. I don't okay. even remember it. So I'm going to I'm going to assume that I also misunderstood it like Tom yeah. cuz that's not like I stole your idea anymore. Yeah, I mean, so as so, an optimist, yeah. as an optimist not relying on the every other theory, um uh, I think you got to hope that the Jazz at some point aren't the, really the number 1 seed team in the Western Conference. I think everyone would agree with that. Uh, maybe we're the team. I mean, and we're also not as bad as the Oklahoma City Thunder, I I don't think. So, you know, catch one of these teams on an off night. I think we could beat the Jazz. Just that's just on paper we could beat the Jazz, but that's that's why you play the game, and that's why the Jazz are ten and four. Yeah. Um, and so. All right. Like, hey, like, I've been uh, I've been outvoted here. So yeah, two two and two. We're going two and two. An optimistic um, two and two. Optimistic two and two for the week. Um, we were an optimistic three and one last week, uh, and we were we were wrong. But that's very okay. close though. Very we're close. So close. So close. All right, guys. We can quickly get into uh, America's favorite sub podcast. We did not do this last week because Kenny and I were having tech issues. But we can get into what else is on. Um, huh. You guys have any good answers for this? What else is on? Got plenty. I haven't been out in a while, but I've I've watched a ton. So I've seen every episode of Abbott Elementary, seen every every episode of Home Economics. How's how's season two of Abbott Elementary? I haven't do, I haven't uh, gotten into season two yet. Good, it's a good show. I've I've been entertained. Home Economics is just a very very okay show with like Topher Grace and. Jimmy Tacho, who I like those people, so I, I support them by watching their show. It's not that good. It's not bad. <laughs> not a ring gonna, endorsement, but Jimmy Tacho is very fine. Funny. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on that comment by Greg because I have also been watching a bunch of like okay shows. Um, I, I told you guys I watched Blockbuster, and me and Greg I think talked about it separately. That like really just kind of left at the end, like ex- assuming that there's a season two coming because I didn't realize that it was over. Um, and that, that, that was an okay show. Like I, I, it served a purpose. Um, I also have been, I think I told, um, Tom on one of these pods watching, um, I don't remember, I, I don't remember the name of the show. Reboot? But, uh, I, 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 we did talk about reboot, which I, I think I like more than mm-hmm. these shows. Um, the other one was the one with Hugh Laurie, um, in space. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, house. House. Um, but that, that show has also been Avenue five. Yep. That show has also been like pretty good, but like nothing special. So the big thing that I have going on is a, a community re- rewatch, which has been incredible. Um, I think the last, like, I, I think when I first watched community through, I thought that the first three seasons were incredible and the next three seasons were not great. Uh, I think season four universally known as just a terrible season. Um, and I am on season three right now and that is holding up true so far like the first two seasons and first few episodes of season three still phenomenal television i think one one other thing to bring up is uh the show 1899 coming out soon on uh netflix which i will will be diving into because it uh, seems to be made by the same people that made dark on netflix which i got very very into um, I know it wasn't everyone's favorite show and it was very, very complicated, but I loved it. 
Um, and so I'm going to be that that is being released soon on Netflix. So you'll uh, you'll hear me talking about that at some point. Yeah. Uh, and then today's Sunday. So that means that the new episode of White Lotus season two is coming out. Episode three. Are you guys watching White Lotus? I've been watching. Yeah. The girl and the girl in White Lotus was at my birthday party. You were there. I was, I was there. We were all there. Um, she's doing I great. She's yeah. she, she's going to be a star. She's famous. Um, she's doing well for herself. She's already famous. Yeah, but, but, but White, White Lotus is like, you know, won all the Emmys. Like, this is real. Uh, I mean, that's like a, a huge, a huge I'm, honor. Yeah, I mean, I'll let, I'll, let, I'll let Katie know. It's a, I love the show. I really do. I, I, I really, I really enjoyed season one. I'm all in. I like, um, we're in Sicily. Um, yeah, I've been talking to Jake a little bit about it. It's it's fun, man. It's like, they, they just do such a good job of kind of just simmering tension and you're like i don't know how i should feel about this yeah the music's the score is so weird it makes you feel just like uneasy the whole time you're like is this really a stressful situation or are they just kind of manipulating me into thinking it's one um just a lot of weirdness and i like it i, I think i'm having a great time with it i'm liking the second season more than, than the first i thought the first was was good but i was also just forgettable for me all, all i remember is that I laughed at, at one point when they were on the boat. That's all. That's it. That's all I remember. I don't remember. Really? What yeah. And I, 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 I liked season one. I really I'll, liked it. I'll jump in and, and agree with Greg that I, uh, I watched the first season of White Lotus recently. And like, it's the same thing I would say about Blockbuster and Avenue 5. Like, it gets the job done. Like, it was fine. I watched the entire thing, uh, but it didn't, didn't, you know, blow me away. So, I'm hearing good things about season two, so I guess I'll I'll have to pick up on that. It's a it's kind of more of the same. I feel like, but it's just it for me. It does like a lot of like wrong footing, where I'm just like I don't, you know, you have standard narratives that you come to expect from shows. You can predict what's going to happen, and this show, I really don't know what they're going for or like what they're what they want me to think of these people. You know what I mean? They they make these characters so ambiguous, so like so. It, these are not stereotypes or they start as stereotypes. And then they kind of like, you see more of them throughout the show. And you're just like, I don't know how to feel anymore. I feel like season one was pretty clear that like all of the guests were terrible people, like subjugating the masses of the people working at the resort. Like, I feel like that was the the gist of season one, which I assume is going to continue to season two. I wouldn't say so. I think that there's more like three. I think that they, the characters were more broad. Like you got like Steve Zahn and some of these like bigger stars in, in season two. Um, I, I do feel like there's probably more uh, depth in some of these characters or I don't know if you feel the same way, Greg, but I don't think it's as easy as like, you know, so season one, obviously you have the Jake Lacey character who is the, uh, the kind of like super type a spoiled rich kid. Yeah. It was very easy to know how to feel about him. But what about like, you know, his, his wife, they like, should I feel bad for her? Or like, she kind of made these decisions and ended up with him. I don't know. For me, we're getting into the weeds of the show. I don't mean to do that, but I'm, I think that's the point of this. Yeah. That's the point of this sub <laughs> podcast. For me, I'd, I w- I'd recommend it. I think it's just a fun, fun show and kind of weird. Mean, I mean, I, w- and I would retort or respond to that by saying like, I, th- I think that all of them were different levels of, bad in terms of the guests like i don't think there was anyone who was like oh this is a good person like i i understand your your sympathy for alexandra daddario's character but like at the same time i don't think that uh she was the best person out there 
I would never describe Alexandra Daddario that way. That's I would never criticize her. Um, but yeah, I think I think this show, this season, there's a little bit more of that ambiguity in characters. Where like, it, I, I'm not sure. You know if, what? I'll I'll take it back. The younger brother from that fa- from Steve Zahn's family was cool. Oh, Everyone sure. else sucked. Um. All right. So that's that's what I've been watching. Um, that's been what else is on, and I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, we we appreciate everyone for listening or for watching on YouTube. We're on YouTube now, so definitely subscribe to us there. We're putting out a lot more content, both on YouTube and on Instagram, kind of short-form stuff, videos, clips, so you can follow us there and uh, on Twitter at Talkin' Nicks. On, on your podcast apps, give us a subscribe, give us a five-star rating, all of that. We appreciate it, and we'll be back next week. So, hey, let's go Nicks. Nicks take.